0: Today's press on podcast, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Psalms chapter seventy-three. I've entitled this podcast "Having an Eternal Perspective," and we're going to find, firstly, some find out some things. Firstly, in regards to the Book of Psalms, I love to come in and try to open God's Word to instruct you and to encourage you and to equip you. But I also want to inform you of some things that not only are just interesting, but I think empowering in the sense of uh, us learning some of the background of the books in the Bible and the people who are in it and the men that God led to to write it. And so, I want us to take a few minutes, and in doing so, it may extend this topic of having an eternal perspective into uh, two podcast uh, sessions, but I think it's important. So I'd like to just start with you by giving some general information about the book of Psalms. Uh, the, the genre of the whole book of Psalms in the Bible is primarily about songs and poetry of several different kinds. And the book of Psalms was apparently writ- written over a proximate age span of about 900 years, quite a long time. And frankly, I didn't realize the extent of time... Uh, of the writing of that book. But Psalms includes praises of joy, uh, laments, blessings, and thanksgivings. And these are directed to God, and these Psalms are to help us express and communicate ourselves to God. I think that uh, you've found that out in your life. If you really are a Bible student, if you hunger for God's Word, you have to go to the Psalms. And uh, as I have, and For many, many years, I've gone to the Psalms out of a number of life situations and find that it's true, that there's some Psalms that are overflowing with joy and praise and thanksgiving. And then there's other songs that are filled with pain and sorrow and uh, frustrations. And what I find is as we read through the book of Psalms, all of the psalmists, the writers of the books, uh, the chapters in the book of Psalms, show emotions that are really quite extreme. Uh, They go from one side of life experience to the other, from praising and delighting and worshiping God to the point of despair and repentance and crying out for mercy and for help and rescue. I think that's why the book of Psalms is one of those kind of books that really applies to us quite practically, and uh, that's why I'm bringing this to you. Uh, The book of Psalms was written by multiple authors, and perhaps you haven't thought of this. I think a lot of times we hear teachings, we hear comments like the psalmist says, uh, and then frequently we'll hear David in the Psalms said, but the reality is David wrote only 73 of these uh, chapters in the book of Psalms, and surprisingly, uh, someone that you may not know about. You may have heard his name, but you don't know anything about him, and that's who wrote Psalm 73, and that's the man Asaph, and uh, he wrote twelve chapters in the book of Psalms, chapter 50 and chapter 73 through 83, and we're going to look at him a little bit more in a few moments, but the sons of Korah also wrote nine chapters, Solomon wrote three, Uh, a a man uh, by the name of Ethan. And actually, Moses himself wrote one chapter each, uh, Moses writing chapter 90. And then 51 of the Psalms are apparently uh, anonymous. And so that would make the whole book 150 chapters. I just found that knowing something of the background and information of the book gives us, I think, a little different perspective and be able to, uh, to appreciate the book of Psalms quite a bit. The book of Psalms was originally divided into five different books, uh, and they were called books, and they were uh, consisted of multiple chapters. So book one had chapters 1 through 41. Book two had chapters 42 through 72. Book three, chapters 73 through 89. Now, book three is where we're looking today uh, because we're looking at chapter 73 that is written by uh, Asaph. Uh, and then Book Four uh, includes the chapters chapters ninety through one hundred and six, and Book Five covers chapters one hundred and seven through chapter one fifty. So there we have kind of the uh, breakdown. Now, mainly, I think that the Psalms were written really to uh, help us deliver praise to God, even though the book is filled with personal pain and struggles and challenges ultimately, all of that has been able to move past and been able to embrace a position of praise to God, acknowledging that He alone is worthy of our praise and that praise is befitting the children of God, regardless of circumstances. And really, I think the book is of Psalms is wrapped up maybe in Psalms uh, chapter One, fifty, Verse six, that reads, "Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's the conclusion. Uh, I'm reminded of Solomon writing um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where you know everything is vanity and so forth, and so on, but it concludes by saying that God is the most High, He's the sovereign over the earth, and worthy to be praised. Uh, we would find also in the book of Psalms, Major themes that run throughout the chapters in the whole book, and that would be praise, God's power, forgiveness, thankfulness, and trust. And trust is where I kind of want to land for this uh, podcast, having uh, an eternal perspective, because Asaph's 73rd Psalms really echoes this primary theme of trust by exhorting believers to trust God, God the righteous, in the face of the prosperity of the wicked. Now, this is a bit of a different uh, slant for us, as, as you'll see as we get into it, but I think it's important because there's a tremendous amount of really lawlessness, and lawlessness, I think, is a word that covers all kinds of evils and wickedness and ungodliness. All those are Our terms we we use, unfortunately, have to use, but lawlessness seems to cover it all for me. But before we get into the verses, I want uh, to bring some information about the writer of Psalms 73, this man Asaph. Now, I'll be honest with you, I did not know much about this man, and maybe that's the case for you. Uh, The same as we would look here if we were to gaze into who really are the sons of Korah. And what about this man, Ethan, that wrote one chapter in the book of Psalms? Who knows anything about this man? So I want to bring to you the fact that Asaph, who was the son of Berechiah, was basically the worship leader in the uh, church or in the temple, uh, and he operated under the reigns of David and Solomon. And as I've said already, he, he is the author of 12 of the Psalms. Now, when you look at Psalms chapter 50— And Psalms 73 through 83, you're going to find out something very significant about this man, Asaph, because his style of writing is very distinctive, it's incredibly forceful, and it's prophetic. He has a very strong spiritual view of life and, and the realm of God's kingdom, and he writes very forcefully, even though uh, he is also known to be uh, a poet the psalms are literally mean songs but they were songs that were in uh, poetry and you you'll see that in a moment as we look into some of these verses but uh, he was a prophet according to second chronicles chapter 29 and um, he was really one of David's three primary uh, musicians and if we were looking in the scriptures, we could go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15 to find the first time that Asaph is mentioned, and I like this part because he, his, the first mention of his name is when the Ark of the Covenant was being transferred to Jerusalem from the home of Obed-Edom, and Asaph begins to lead the service of music in the tent uh, where the Ark was kept, in other words, into the holiest of holies. It paints such a wonderful picture that here is a man that uh, was distinctive, was powerful, uh, had a spiritual urgency and fervor about him, and yet he was able to come and literally lead people into the presence of God, to go right into the holy place before the ark and lead in worship and, and songs. You know, if you've ever tried to lead anybody or lead groups in singing, you, you really have to have a sensitive spirit. Uh, And you have to have quite the walk with God. Uh, Music today uh, in the church especially, uh, unfortunately, has taken uh, perhaps more of a performance uh, stand nowadays with the lights and the smokes and uh, all the wherewithal we have. But the, the biblical place of music was the leader, was a holy position. And had a great responsibility to be the first one to enter into the presence of God, and and be able to lead people in. Asaph did that, and for quite some time after his life, uh, the four sons of Asaph functioned uh, under him and continued the ministry uh, in the uh, temple, and it was literally known as the sons of Asaph, like a, a kind of a choir, if you will, of leaders in music and the ministry of music, and uh, I just find that it was very instrumental to to know some of the background of Psalms itself and also this man Asaph, so that we get uh, uh, an idea of where he's coming from when he is writing these. Now, of course, he's not just sitting down some day of his own free will, writing these out of the constructs of his own heart. No, the Bible tells us God Himself that He breathed these uh, words into the life of every writer in the book uh, of the Bible, and He divinely inspired them. And while they wrote in their style, and they obviously they wrote from their and expressed their personality, the divine breath of God, the Spirit of God, was upon them. Uh, remember, of a uh, few podcasts back, uh, we spoke about. In Exodus, I believe, 31 about Bezalel, that he was called by name and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and and appointed a, a specific task. This is what is the same with Asaph. He was called by God, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and he was led by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. And what he writes is so powerful, and it it speaks to the topic that I come today, that uh, having an eternal perspective. Now, I don't know if Asaph himself experienced these things, but I I like to think, and I su- I suspect that he really did. Someone recently asked me about, how do you choose the topics you do on your podcast? And I quite frankly said to them, as I'm going to say to you, these things come out of my own life experience. These things come as I'm Daily, reading the Word of God, I'm, th- I'm reading it, I'm studying it, uh, I'm meditating on it, and the Word of God speaks to my practical life. Uh, and out of that comes these podcasts. I don't sit down and just make notes and just pick things out of my mind to come. Uh, I try to come and share, because when I share something with you, I want to feel the truth of it. I want the reality of God's Word impacting my life. I don't, I don't care one whit about having a mind full of knowledge. Paul said that kind of knowledge can puff up. I want the knowledge of God that inspires and empowers me to live righteous and to fulfill every th- single aspect of God's plan and will for my life. And I believe it's the same for you. That's why you're listening in. So I urge you to join with me now in Psalm 73 with an open heart knowing that this man, Asaph, is writing, I believe, from his own life experiences and what experiences he had. So I, I, I've tried to take this chapter, and I said we're going to work our way through parts of it. But I'd really encourage you. I, in fact, I would mo- do more than that. I would urge you, why not read Psalms 73 through 83? It'll, I think it'll be a blessing to you. Now, look, I'm going to bring this thing right down. Let's go to Psalm 73 and start reading verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm, their not They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, and they have more than their hearts could wish. They scoff, and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth." Now, right off, you can see here, there is something happening in Asaph's life that he's writing about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, dealing with the contentions between the righteous and the wicked. And he starts by saying that God is good, but he's especially good, he's particularly good to those who are pure in heart. There is a universal goodness and grace of God. Uh, it, he makes it to, the, to rain on the just and the unjust, and the sun for the just and the unjust. Uh, God is good to all, but he's especially good, Asaph writes, to those who are pure in heart. And then he applies it and says, but for me, my feet almost stumbled. I'm telling you, my Christianity almost gave way, and my steps nearly slept, uh, slipped. And he begins to say, then why? Asaph, in his life circumstances, is looking around and he's seeing the wicked prosper. He's writing very poetically, isn't he, about there's no pain and there's no trouble and there's no plagues and pride and violence go hand in hand with these people. And yet they have everything under the sun. They live in abundance. And in fact, so much that even though they know that they sin, even though they know they're living this way, they go around and speak arrogantly. They speak against the heavens, meaning they speak against rulers and authorities. They think their prosperity has placed them in a, in a position where they have power and authority, and they can speak against principalities and powers. And even I believe they were speaking against God from whom all blessings flow. And Asaph is seeing this, and he's struggling with it, and it's a pain to him, and he's trying to understand that I'm pure in heart. Now, I'm not perfect, but I'm, in, I'm pure in heart. Uh, his, God's love and his mercy, the, the transformation of my spiritual life toward God has put me in a position of following hard after God, and yet I'm, I'm struggling when I look around and I see what's happening in my generation. Now, friends, let's take this out of uh, this realm of uh, historical past, someone's else's experiences, but let's bring it to us today. Look at the world we live in. We we live in a country now where politicians say one thing, mean another, and live another. I mean, we live in constant duplicity. It used to be in our country— and, and I'm old enough to have some history to look back and to see that sin used to be called sin, and it used to be shameful, and it used to bring guilt to men's hearts, and it would be that when they wanted to sin, when they knew what they were doing, even though they were moving under a deception, they would still try to hide it. They would try to do it in the shadows, and yet now the shadows are gone. The, the, what is dark has been turned to light, and good is now evil, and evil that was is good today. And we live in a world where now truly uh, Paul's writing to Timothy that in the last day scoffers will come. They're going to be arrogant, boastful, prideful, uh, disobedient to parents, uh, stand bold face against truth and leadership, they will speak out against anyone at any time. We we we've in our culture now we've taken sin and we have moved it to where now we call it canceling people and minimizing people and minorities have remained silent. Uh, uh, I mean, majorities have remained silent while minorities have taken the microphone. And what's happened is we live in an upside down, topsy turvy world, and we can see how the wealthy, the rich, the powerful, how they use and abuse what God has put into their hands, and they don't just abuse it, but they abuse it and then use it against the righteous. The church is being canceled. God's Word is being canceled. The uh, standards of uh, morality, biblical standards of righteousness, are being classified as old, traditional, out of pace, postmodern, and yada yada. And the whole thing is that uh, there's a shadow cast over Christianity, and the world has set itself now to try to utterly destroy that. And the, 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 the fact is that our society, like Asaph's, used all the th- blessings, really, of God and really used them as a way to curse even God. They use his name in vain. They violate every standard and principle of righteousness and godliness according to the Bible. They've thrown out God. They've thrown his word out. They try to throw out the church. And next is they're going to throw us out. They're going to come against us. Now, this is, I'm not trying to be anything more than what the Bible says. But if you read what Asaph writes in Psalms 73 through 83, you're going to see that the righteous. Uh, when they look at the lives of the wicked, there is a innate suffering that comes, and Asaph is doing that. Uh, he talks about being pure in heart, and that is that's he is saying. I think that the pure in heart is where God specifically places His goodness, and even though His feet stumbled and His uh, steps nearly slipped, almost and nearly do not equate to absolute failures despite whatever the world or the devil says against us. Now friends, you might have slipped. You might have fallen back. You might be taken back to say that it's true, the wealthy and the wicked, they don't suffer anything like we suffer. And and it can it can bring you to a place of having brief or temporary doubts. And I want to say to you, having temporary or brief periods of doubt uh, is not incompatible with responsible Christian living. He said, my feet almost slipped. I mean, he was almost at the port of point of becoming undone. And we sometimes think and feel the same thing. We think that uh, we struggle from paycheck to paycheck. We're struggling now with uh, 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 inflation. We're struggling. I mean, so many different struggles, and we look and we say the wicked act wicked, and they do it with boldness. They do it with a straight face. They lie through their teeth, and they call it truth, and then those of us who hold to truth are called every name in the book. His feet almost slip. Maybe today you're thinking, this is not right, and it's, it's just more than I can imagine. And you might have temporary doubts, but I want to say to you uh, that there's no shame in that. We just don't want to remain in that place, and we don't want your feet to slip and your steps to fall. Uh, And Asaph is writing here about the description of what he would call the good life of the wicked. I mean, read it again. You'll see. It sounds like they just have everything falling in line for them. They seem more to walk in the blessings of God than we do. And he's not understanding this. And yet, I want to say that his poetic description is coming from a time when he is obviously looking through man's limited perspective. He's looking natural man to natural man. And he he is going to move past this kind of point of contention to looking at more of a contrast uh, uh, between the righteous and the wicked, and it's a contrast and a step I think you and I should take. And so uh, while I'm I'm feeling quite intense on this because this is a struggle, it's a real struggle for the righteous, and yet we have some glorious truths to look at, unfortunately we've run out of time. Uh, and I, I thought it would be so because I felt important to give you background on Psalms and the man Asaph. But I would like to invite you, my friends, please find another 20 minutes where you can come in and join me. And let's conclude this uh, podcast um, two-part series on having an eternal perspective, because I think that, uh, well, I know that God's Word has something to say to us, and we need to hear it and have it uh, applicable to us. These are resources we don't want to miss. So I invite you to join me next week on having an eternal perspective part two. So until then, just please know that I love you and I'm praying for you.